0: The long-awaited day is here. Today is the day we finish chapter two of Colossians. I don't know; if, maybe you guys haven't longly, long-awaited this day, but we're here nonetheless. We're doing verses twenty and twenty-three this morning, and then um, <clears throat> this positions us uh, well in in the. This actually sets up part of what we're going to be talking about. During the Lenten season, we're going to really focus on uh, the fight against sin and uh, how Christ has worked for us to, uh, to put sin to death. So uh, part of that begins here. Verse 20, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world? Do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings? These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh." May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Let's pray. Father, open the eyes of our hearts this morning that we may see Jesus, who is high and lifted up, that we may see his incredible majesty and supremacy, that believing in his supremacy, we might see his sufficiency for us. Open our eyes to the hope to which we have been called in Christ, Open our eyes to the immeasurable greatness of his power at work in and for us who believe in the good news of Jesus, the Messiah. We ask this for his glory and for our good. Amen. Um, In his book, Transforming Grace, uh, Jerry Bridges uh, tells a story of his life, from his life, and uh, he talks about how when he was a young man, Uh, his family told him they prohibited him from going to the pool hall. He didn't understand why they said don't go to the pool hall, but nonetheless he was trying to be an obedient son and he he did not go to the pool hall. And he began to think that there was something inherently sinful about playing pool. So imagine his surprise when after he becomes a Christian, he goes to this conference center, he's surrounded by these godly people, and there in the rec room is a pool table. He had to kind of rethink this. What's going on here? Maybe what I thought isn't what really is true. It points to the reality that we are prone to make rules about things about what we should do and what we shouldn't do. And sometimes we begin to mistake those rules for God's rules. This is the problem of what what I'm going to call religion. I'll probably define that later um, so that you distinguish it from biblical faith. But for Paul, he says that's a trap to be avoided. It's a dangerous thing. The big idea this morning is that Christ, not religion, is able to reach the heart of sin. Let's begin precisely where Paul begins, that the death of Christ changes how you fight sin. Paul makes a shift in this passage He had been talking about what the teachers had been teaching, these false teachers, these visitors that had come in and had begun to uh, disrupt the church in Colossae. He makes a shift from them to the church members because now he's concerned about what they're starting to do. And he starts with this conditional statement, if, and there's a big if that is here because the if is if you died with Christ. He returns to the subject of our union with Christ and therefore our death with him in his death. This is not just a theoretical thing for Paul, but it is meant, in fact, to have a huge effect on how these Christians are to live in the present. The, the past event of Christ's death is to have significant meaning for how they lived in the present because they have died with Christ by virtue of their union with him. The reason that we had Marty read Romans 6 this morning is because Romans 6 uh, takes this subject and goes deeper with it than Paul does right here. And we're not going to spend a whole lot of time, but I think we need to begin to think about that just a little bit, because in Romans uh, 6 through 7, Paul is really addressing this bigger picture and and going deeper with it. And he says, essentially, that when you die, everything changes. Your relationship to everything changes. If you're a married person, (coughs) death ends the marriage if you're someone who is enslaved and you die, you're no longer a slave. Death, more significantly, he says, ends the rule of sin in a person's life. And so what he's saying is, because you have died with Christ, the rule of sin in your life is dead. It's gone. It's over. It's something magnificent has changed and shifted, and you've got to understand that, he says. He continues in that phrase, with Christ you died, you died specifically here, to the elemental spirits of the world. We talked about this uh, a few weeks ago, trying to identify these elemental or, um, you know, like the ABCs, so to speak, the, the one, two, threes, uh, these spiritual We think uh, beings that kind of controlled uh, the world. He's saying (coughs) that when you died with Christ, you died to them or you died to their influence or power over you. You are no longer to live as if these elemental powers determine how you live. For instance... If you're married, you must live like you're married, not like you're still single. Do not continue to live as though Friday and Saturday night you can go out with your best buds and uh, do whatever it is that you and your best buds did before you got married, whether that's playing video games, watching movies, having pizza, drinking beer, whatever it was. No, you're married now. You're supposed to go home to your spouse. So... It's that kind of of enormous change that takes place. He's saying you have to recognize this change that takes place, and specifically in this area of sin. He says in Romans 6, verse 11, So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. And again, that phrase, in Christ Jesus. It's because it's by virtue of our union with Christ that we are dead to sin and now we are alive to God. So we, are, we have to, as he says, consider, think about, have this in mind is the idea. Okay? I mean, <clears throat> you have to think through the reality. You have to bring it to Be present mind on a regular basis so that you begin to live in light of that reality. It's not an automatic thing for us. We must stop and think about it. When's the last time you learned to do anything new? You always have to stop and you have to think about how to do it. And here's the, the marvelous thing about having children that you're homeschooling. You have to remember how to communicate or how to teach them how to do things that you take for granted. I have to stop and think about the four different ways to solve a math equation or whatever it is. So Paul's saying, stop, think, so that you begin to act in accordance with what is true. It's not a mind game. It's not pretending, but it's learning to live in light of what has happened. And so when tempt- temptation stirs, you know, temptation often feels very urgent. okay? Because usually it's a very fleshly sort of thing, you know. And so there's a, uh, the desire grows within us uh, for whatever it, uh, we are tempted to do. It seems urgent. It seems like we have to listen. We have to obey this call. And we have to remember that we're dead to it. Think of the movie The Godfather. When when Michael Corleone says to his brother Fredo, "You're dead to me." What does that mean? It means he doesn't pick up the phone when Fredo calls. Okay? Fredo knocks on the door; he doesn't answer. Okay, we need to start to be that way with with sin and temptation. When when you know it, it rings. We don't pick up if we have caller ID and know it's sin, okay? But sometimes, you know, sometimes what happens is the telemarketer calls. And, uh, you know, it, it, you don't, unknown number. And there's some of you I know, you'll never pick up if it's an unknown number. But if you do pick up and the telemarketer starts, just because they start talking to you doesn't mean you need to talk to them, right? You can hang up, right? We have that ability now because we, we have died with Christ you can, can hang up, so to speak, on the temptation that calls us. But too often, we entertain those calls. Sometimes they get sucked into those stupid surveys, you know? And uh, you know they tell me it's going to be two minutes, but then 15 minutes later, there I am on the phone. I'm a moron, I admit to you. Okay, we allow ourselves to be talked into it. Luther had this nice phrase that, that I love. You can't stop a bird from landing on your head but you can stop it from building a nest there. Okay? You cannot stop yourself from being tempted, but you do have the ability to stop yourself from acting on the temptation. That's what Luther's getting at. That's what Paul is getting at. And so... Conversely, when God calls, because we're alive to God, so to speak, we're to answer that call and respond with a yes, I want to talk to you. So it's it's the difference. There's the contrast. And so our death in Christ ends the rule of sin and the elemental powers in our lives. And so let's, let's talk about religion for a little bit here, because this is what Paul is contrasting it with. And first off, religion is a worldly way to fight sin. It's a way to fight sin, but it's a worldly way to fight sin because that's what the false teachers were portraying this as. Hey, you, you, you want to be holy and blameless, right? Well, we've got the plan for you, buddy, and this is, this is our plan. And so it's a plan to fight sin, but it is a worldly one. It is worldly because it's inconsistent with the reality of what they experienced in Christ Jesus. First was the if... Now is the why. If you have died with Christ, then why are you living like you didn't, is his point. And the specifics there are, why are you living in this world, and why are you submitting to regulations? Now, we've got to be clear. He's not talking about obeying the law of God here. He's talking about something else. It becomes more and more clear as he goes through this text. Okay, <clears throat> So essentially he's saying, why are you submitting to the regulations that are in keeping with the elemental powers that you died to? These, these teachers were saying that they were to abstain from certain things. Don't touch this. Oh, if you, if you taste that, that's dangerous. That's bad for you. So, you know, you shouldn't do that. No handling of these things. It's similar to what Jerry Bridges experienced with the pool hall. Don't go to the pool hall. And his mind became, don't play pool. And he had to learn that really what his, what his parents were, were trying to say to him was there are bad elements at the pool hall. Pool isn't the problem. The shady men who gamble and uh, deal in other kinds of sin at that particular pool hall were the problem. Okay, so he had to learn that that what his parents were actually protecting him from, but he was not to abstain from playing pool. So while while the Colossian Christians have not embraced the theology of, of of what the teachers have said, we do see on the basis of this warning that they perhaps have begun to submit to the rules that these teachers have begun to place on them, Okay, which is beginning that process of moving away from <clears throat> the pure gospel and into something else. Paul is essentially saying to them, you are losing your freedom, the freedom that Christ gave you the freedom that he purchased for you with his death. It's similar to what he says in Galatians 5, verse 1. For freedom Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. And so submitting to the regulations of these false teachers means that they are submitting to a yoke of spiritual, religious slavery. Why do I say it's human laws? Because that's exactly what Paul says. According to human precepts. He's not talking about the Ten Commandments. He's not talking about any, of other, any other of God's laws that are here. He's talking specifically about man-made rules that compete with God's law and often toss it out. That's why we read from Isaiah 29 this morning. That was, that was one of the problems of Israel before... Um, <coughs> the exile is he says there that you have you 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 listen but you don't hear you come to me but you don't have you don't give me your hearts he talks about man-made rules and jesus quotes this when his uh, disciples are accused by the pharisees of not fulfilling the tradition of the elders he says isaiah prophesied about you properly when he said this, and he quotes from Isaiah 29, and he he reminds them, and we're going to see this again later, it's not what goes into your body, but what comes out of your body, that's the problem, out of your mouth. So we see this pattern from Isaiah 29 that Jesus picks up on in Matthew 15, um, and then Paul is really essentially saying the same thing here in Colossians chapter 2. They're substituting human precepts for God's precepts. They're pulling one out and putting another one forward. These man-made rules. Paul additionally says that this is self-made religion, what Calvin would call will worship, meaning it's 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 the worship of your own will again so again this is not a biblical faith that is being uh, criticized here but it's actually a function of the world the world even when it poses as the church begins to add rule upon rule law upon law weighing people down with heavy burdens that they cannot fulfill the issue here is not one of wisdom okay but of turning what helps you into into a law for everyone. For instance, it is very wise for some of you to abstain from alcohol. There's no command in Scripture unless you're taking the Nazarite vow, and no one here should be taking a Nazarite vow. Um, That's part of the the shadow that that Christ has fulfilled. Okay, But some of you out of wisdom, because of a family history uh, or a personal weakness, should not touch alcohol. That's wise. That's good. The problem is, that what Paul is talking about here is then, therefore you say, nobody should touch alcohol. Do you see the difference? One is, you know, I need to do this because uh, it's a bad thing for me and I'm trying to be wise. And the other one is, Everyone must do this, okay? When you don't have a biblical command to place on people. You're putting your own will, your own precept upon everybody else, okay? And we, people don't just do that about alcohol. They do it about all kinds of things. And So adding to God's law is a, one of the forms of legalism And it's deadly precisely because it departs from grace. John Piper talks about this in one of his books. And he says, this this, this is interesting, legalism is a more dangerous disease than alcoholism because it doesn't look like one. In other words, the addict... Knows usually he needs help. It's a question of whether he uh, wants that help. But he knows he has no control over something. Okay? The legalist is in such grave danger precisely because he doesn't think he needs help. He thinks he's got it all under control because he thinks he's following the proper set of rules. I'm not dancing, I'm not drinking. I'm not going with girls who do. He thinks he's okay. It's it's deadly for this precise reason. He looks righteous. But he's not. And so because he thinks he's okay and he looks righteous, he's not looking to Christ. That's the worldly part of it. It's a sanctification without Jesus. It can't take place. And so religion, here's how I'm defining it, is any attempt to deal with sin apart from Christ. And therefore it's worldly. Not only is religion a worldly way to fight sin, but secondarily it is a superficial way to fight sin. Paul continues here to expose the folly of religion, the the folly of ignoring what Christ did and instead focusing on what we're supposed to do. He mentions their asceticism and severity to the body. This is appropriate in a time, you know, as we're going to start Lent this week. There are a lot of people who, who get into asceticism and severity of the body. And um, or act like everyone should, you know. So what are you giving up for Lent? You know, there's there's an expectation in in the part of some that you're supposed to give up something for Lent, Uh, you know, something that you like, not something you know that you don't like. Um, You know, my daughter would would probably say I'm giving up elderberry pills. I don't like them, Um, but that's not the idea. It's, 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 but it's supposed to be, you know, sometimes people will they'll get into the, well, no, no meat on Friday. I, that's how I grew up. No meat on Friday. Boy, that wasn't fun. I got sick of pasta. But that was, that was probably the reason why we had cheese pizza every Friday in school, was that old thing, man. Um, <clears throat> but people, this is the time. As if a mandated fast, fasting is good. Mandated fasts? Not so good. Okay? And so what we see here is that these false teachers have mandated things like fasting. They've mandated things like all night prayer vigils. They're depriving the body in a sense of the good things that God has made because of a problem they see with those things. And what they're doing, Paul says, essentially looks good. It it had the appearance of wisdom. Okay? It it had the appearance of humility to avoid those things. It, it sort of communicated to the other people, wow man, they're serious. Look at all the rules they gotta follow. They're serious about their spirituality. And Paul's like No. <laughs> they're serious about something else. And it's all superficial because it's, he says it is of no value to restraining the indulgence of the flesh. These things that looked wise, looked humble, looked good, looked right, actually did no good in terms of ending the indulgence of the flesh. Precisely because they treat sin as out there they think sin is in the food or the drink that is going to be ingested or they think that the sin is in the thing that is touched out there they think the sin is in the beer or the bacon or the guns or the tv i was at game day with the, the kids are playing and i'm just kind of sitting there and overhearing a conversation and it was a strange conversation a nice lady i've i've met her and she's nice to us but she was talking about from the old testament that <clears throat> there are portals into the world and the demons want to get into the world and they come through these portals like television and movies and so when we watch them then the devil the demons come through the portals and attack and i, I just felt like going Have you lost your mind? But I didn't. I took off my pastor hat and and, and restrained myself. Maybe I shouldn't have. I don't know. Sin is not primarily out there. Again, what Jesus says, Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and this defiles a person. He continues to say that what comes out of the heart, you know, that is the seat of all of the greed and all of the covetousness and all of the hatred and everything else. That's the real sin. Those sorts of things. The real problem is our heart which is filled with immorality, filled with greed, filled with lusts of all kinds. And the point of Jesus and of Paul is that the rules do not touch or change the heart. They don't. In fact, they actually appeal to the flesh in the form of pride. One of my friends who I went to seminary with, uh, he grew up in an independent, uh, Indy Fundy church, Indy Fundy Baptist, sorry, <coughs> church. Uh, if that's your background, I'm, I'm not trying to make fun of him. Um, and <coughs> in, in his particular church, you were not supposed to go to the cinema. So you get the play on words there. Cinema. Okay? Because man, you're supporting Hollywood when you go to the cinema, but amazingly, you're not supporting Hollywood when you go to the video store and rent it. Okay, there was this is what legalism does; it it, it twists your mind in, into things, uh, you know. But they had pride because they didn't go to the cinema, and so they were better. Than you. More righteous, more holy than you. Oh, moviegoer. We can do this with all kinds of things. You know, I don't watch R rated movies. Uh, there, There are people who don't watch R rated movies. And if you can't watch R rated movies, that's okay. It's good to know what you can't watch and to not watch it. That's wise. But to say that, therefore, no one should ever see an R-rated movie is legalism. And we do that with any number of things. Uh, We could say, uh, you know, here's a fun one. You can drink beer as long as the alcohol content is less than 5%. Because, you know, those big bottles of beer that Steve likes to drink, it's, it's dangerous stuff, okay? We can do that. But that is legalism because it doesn't really touch the heart. The real problem is drunkenness. That's the real problem. And so it's not Steve can't, shouldn't drink beer. I don't know why I'm saying this because no one says this to me. Okay, No one's saying this to me. But <clears throat> if I was in a different community, perhaps someone would in John Piper's community, that is one of the problems. They, they were, that was what prompted him to say that, to write that thing, was, was that they were trying to make it a mandate for all members of the church. And he's like, no. While he himself believed you should abstain from alcohol, he said, no, do not make this a law, because now we're falling into the trap of legalism. Jerry Jerry Bridges, in another part of his books, writes that, uh, I am convinced that the sinful nature still present within every believer tends toward a legalistic spirit as much as it tends toward sin. Did you catch what he said? You are just as prone to move toward a legalistic spirit as you are to go to the spirit of license or sin. Martin Luther said it this way, that within each of us there is a little religious fanatic who wants to earn God's approval. That's the legalistic spirit. Okay? But we as Christians must must know what sin really is and what, what it really does. That's one of the ways we combat this idea that it's sort of out there instead of in here. Okay, The, the things that are out there all they do is resonate with the sin that's in here. Okay? So there are certain things out there that will resonate with the sin in my heart. Okay? They, may, they may not resonate with the sin in your heart. Something else will. Okay? That's, one, that's one reason why I, I really tend to avoid catalogs. Because I'm like, wow, I've got to have that. Dude, this book looks cool. Like I don't have enough books, really, you know? Okay? Or, or, you know. And so for me, catalogs. I I, I mean, I used to spend hours with the CBD catalog, highlighting and circling and all this kind of stuff. So for me, it's not wise to get catalogs in addition to the fact that they kill lots of trees. Um, <clears throat> but you may not struggle with that. You may struggle with something completely. You may have to avoid the Food Network or HGTV because you always want to improve your home. And so every time you see, oh, I got to do that to my house. Let's let's go to Home Depot right now, okay? But see, what what will resonate in your heart is not the same thing as what will resonate in my heart. And so therefore, I can't make a, a blanket rule. I can't tell you, no catalogs, because. You're not going to struggle with it the same way I am. Understand? And the, 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 the no catalog doesn't really deal with my covetousness. I, I have to remember that, that though I, I I should I you know kind of try to avoid catalogs, I have to make sure that covetousness is not finding its way into my life in other ways. You know, I can't go surfing the web at all the book sites, right? Um, yeah, they don't. They don't have one of those, uh, uh, you know, internet uh, watch services for that now, do they? Um, and so we really, you know, we have to treat the disease and not the symptom. The rule basically treats the symptom. Okay, I've I've had this lousy cough for two weeks now, and I've realized to, like yesterday. I'm doing the wrong thing, I'm treating the cough and nothing's working because the problem is not the cough, the cough is the symptom of the something, now i got to try and figure out what the something really is, okay, so that all all that stuff is the symptom, you got to deal with the real cause in your heart and the only way to deal with the real cause in your heart is the cross of Jesus Christ. Because that is where we died to sin. That is why we look for our refuge in the cross, not just for our guilt, but also for our temptation because what legalism does is as it puts you as Tim Keller talks about on this seesaw of of pride and despair you know if you're doing really good keeping those rules then you're filled with pride you're you know you're 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 feeling spiritual and you're and you're you know you're better than that other guy over there but when you don't keep those rules you're under oh, oh I'm I have no hope now I'm just so guilty There's no place to go because it's about these rules and it's not about Christ. And and the cross brings us to this place of confident humility because we, we recognize that the death of Jesus shows us how bad our sin is that in order for us to be delivered from our sin, He had to die on a cross for us. But also there's the fact that He did it. Willingly. There's the confidence. He chose, out of love, to die for us. And so the cross is the place where we receive not just the freedom from our guilt, but also the power to deal with our temptations. And so the gospel, not rules, gets to the heart of sin, which is the heart. So, because of the indwelling sin that remains in all Christians, we are, we are all tempted not only to sin, but we are tempted also toward legalism, dealing with our sin through rules instead of through Christ and the gospel. And this is a worldly and superficial way of fighting our sin. It destroys us spiritually precisely because it cuts us off from grace since we aren't looking to Christ and the gospel. And the power to fight sin is only found in Christ and Him crucified, resurrected. And so, Christian, you died to sin. So now you are free to say no to sin. Let's pray. Father, I'm reminded of what Sinclair Ferguson uh, said about this. The quote that's in our reflection. And that for many of us, it's because we don't think about this, we don't consider ourselves dead to sin, that we struggle with it so much. Not that uh, thinking about it is a magical cure, but that thinking about it or considering ourselves in this way is how we live out the gospel in the midst of temptation. So, Father, teach us this. Remind us by the Spirit when temptation comes. Remind us of what you have given us and done for us that we might put an end to sin progressively in our lives. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.